before I begin, I'd like to uh, offer this dedication. Uh, this year should be a blessing and a merit for the health and success of the families of Regina Basio Seferuve and Yeshaya Ben Yisrael, Benjamin Wolf, Ben Atzvihesh, uh, and Boruch Ben Benjamin Wolf. And the Neshamas should have uh, tremendous schus uh, for this year. <coughs> okay. Tonight, since I'm in this topic of the uh, basically the last battle of the messianic process, which you know I've tried to bring a proof, and I think the proof in many ways is very convincing. You know, and we are in the midst, obviously, in the midst, I say, of a war between Israel and Poros, Persia, which of course is Iran and the proxies of Iran, because they obviously don't want to get involved in the direct confrontation with Israel. Look, they're not stupid people. Persians are bright. They realize Israel has many atomic bombs, or I should say, many hydrogen bombs. You know, you don't get involved in a war with a country that has that kind of weapons, obviously. <coughs> and as I've indicated last week, <coughs> Because the Gemara, because the Medrash says, Higiyaz man the time of your redemption has arrived, then obviously it means that that war is basically the last war. Now that has many repercussions, as I will discuss tonight, what that means and so on. I believe it means that there is an appearance of Goig from the land of Magog. I believe that in that type of a last war, then there is Goig. And I will discuss who I think Goig is, <coughs> which I imagine a lot of people may find quite shocking. But in any case, uh, so we have that repercussion and many, many different ideas. Now, one of the things I mentioned last week is that why do we see America collapsing in many ways? especially Los Angeles, and we have New York, uh, Chicago. There are at least 20 cities that are really in many ways collapsing. The beauty of these cities and the sophistication of these cities is, uh, is uh, uh, unbelievable uh, destruction when you take a look at that. The question is, what does that mean? So that's one of the things that I want to talk about and so on. First thing you have to know certain ideas, which I think I've mentioned before, but I want to be more uh, clear in terms of what they are. There is a concept called Teferis and Oiz. In fact, we say that in the morning Shachras, the Brochus, you know, Oize Yisrael Begvura, who girds Israel with strength, you see, and we also refer to the whole concept of uh, Teferis, right? Uh, also in the Brachas of Shachras. What, what, what does that mean? <clears throat> what is Teferis and Oiz? <clears throat> well, the Shechina, the Divine Presence, has many attributes, has many properties, characteristics, and so on. Of course, one of the greatest, uh, I'm not going to go into obviously who is God, but among these attributes, two of them are, stand out. You know, if you want to know the magnificent of magnificence of God, there's two attributes that stand out. I mean, there are many. There are obviously many attributes that God has, which are absolutely astonishing. But I think, in human terms, there are two that stand out. I think the most. One is Teferis, beauty. Beauty does not mean, you know, the poetry uh, and so on, you know, a, a great-looking painting. No. Beauty means chokhmah, wisdom, knowledge, in an incredibly crystal-clear way. It's knowing reality, you see. And therefore, God has that attribute of tefers, that beauty. God knows everything. I mean, we don't even realize what that means. But he knows everything down to its lowest depth, 
Well, I should say it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, you can look at it, the highest depth and so on. <clears throat> you know, it's God knows everything totally. There's nothing that he doesn't know, which is astounding. We can't even begin to imagine what kind of database that is. Yet God knows everything. That's what Ferris is. So that's the first thing we admire about God, that he knows everything. What does it mean to know everything? He is completely in contact with all reality. Whatever there is, whatever exists, he knows. He's intimately, infinitely connected to reality where nothing is concealed. We have absolutely no understanding of how being, being can do that. Uh, I once gave a shia who is God where I explain what that really means but so on. But right now that's the idea. Second attribute of God which is also phenomenal is what's called the might of God. His ability to do, to do whatever he wants to do. You know, his capacity <coughs> of action or right his potency God is completely potent he's a koyochel he could do whatever he wants could you imagine that you know he has the power that the only thing he can't do is because he doesn't want to do it not because he can't do it and we, we cannot even imagine what that means and what that is you see the ability of God to do anything he wills you see, is, is beyond imagination. Uh, and, you know, if you want to know, well, what does God, what can he do? Well, guess what? It's beyond, like I say, beyond imagination. You know, one of our problems is that we live in an unbelievably complex world. We don't realize how complex the human mind is. If you think about these things, or how complex an, an animal is, or a bug, or a leaf of a plant. The chemical reactions that go on in a leaf when it makes, you know, uh, derives energy from the sun is unbelievable. What chlorophyll is and so on, you know. Uh, and one of the problems is that we take all this for granted. Because not only we see it all day long to us, like what's the big deal? But we don't really realize the enormous complexity of what we're looking at. Yet God is able to bring all of this into being. You see. But anyway, those are the two concepts. Teferis and Oiz. Teferis is Chochmah, is knowledge. And Oiz is might, the ability to do. <clears throat> well, what's interesting about that, and these are the, one, the two attributes of the Shekhinah, which are magnificent. I mean, just beyond description. What is interesting <clears throat> is that the Jews have it, right? Since we... What is what is what really is the secret of the Jew? You see, <coughs> and that secret is really what is a medrash, right? That says Kuchibrichu God, Kodeshbohu, right? Ushchinte, and the divine presence, which is how God manifests Himself to mankind, right? Torah and Torah is Chadhu is one. Now, we don't really it's really what that means. But the concept that Chadhu is one means on a level we do not understand. <coughs> we are a mystical embodiment or personification of the Torah itself. In other words, if there's such a thing, which there is, if you want to take the Torah, which is the divine will of God, and turn it into a being, a living being, what would, what would it look like? Now, whatever that means, right? You take the Torah, right? And you turn it into a, a being that reflects or is identical, or I should say is the parallel of that Torah. What would it look like? And the answer is the Neshama. That's really what the Neshama is. That's what it means, Chadhu. We are an identicality with God. Well, if that's the case, if God is Tferis and Oiz, right, beauty and might, right, then we who are a personification of the Torah and of God, 
Chatu is one, then we have Tveris and Oiz. Right. That's what we have, which is interesting. That is the natural attributes of the Jew. Because we are, and, and, and the Torah, <coughs> we are in equality. Now, what is interesting is that tells us or allows us to understand certain things. One of the things that, the question is, was this ever manifest? This Tveris and Oiz in a human? You know, I mean, you know, there are people who are very bright, obviously, tremendously, and so on, you know. But did we ever see an unbelievable degree above human, right? Abnormal. Abnormally, <laughs> almost, not infinite, because only God is infinite, right? But uh, completely abnormal. And the answer is yes. One we saw, not that we saw literally, but one that has lived amongst us. What, who was the person that had first and eyes to a degree which we cannot even believe? You see? And the answer is Shlomo HaMelech. You see, we wonder, you know, when Dover HaMelech died, so God appeared to Shlomo HaMelech in a dream and said, well, I'll give you Chochmah or I'll give you wealth. What would you like? And he said, well, I want Chochmah. So God said, well, that itself was a very wise statement. So I'll give you both. <clears throat> what did God give him? He gave him an unsurpassed Chochmah. Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, as they say, was not merely the wisest man who ever lived, you know, but his capacity for <coughs> wisdom and knowledge was beyond comparison. I once heard, you know what Shlomo HaMelech knew and so on? I mean, he wrote Kohelas, which is incredible wisdom, you know. But how did he know all this? So you have to Shiashirim, you'll talk about Kohelas. These are books that have tremendous amount of Chochmah, you know, and they begin to tell us who this man was and so on. But I once uh, heard, I don't recall where, that Shlomo Melech can expound on every tag in the Torah. The tagin, there are several letters in the Torah, Shatnei's gates, uh, Shatnei's Shintof, Nun, Zayn, and Gimel Zayn, or uh, Gimel Tzadik, and so on, right? They have tagin, or crowns. He could actually darshan, expound on these tagin, 3,000 halochas on every tag. And it's astounding. We, don't, we look at the tag in the crowns on the letters of the Torah. We don't have no idea what they are. We only know from one person that was able to do that was Rabbi Akiva. And Moshe Rabbeinu was jealous that Rabbi Akiva was able to do that. But Rabbi Akiva was not Shlomo Melech. You see, even though he was incredible. Uh, so Shlomo Melech had that wisdom, right? Not only had the wisdom... But that was, if you had a point, well, which era of Jewish history was the greatest, sophisticated, successful era of Malchus, of kingship? And the answer is Shlomo Melech. All kings wanted to ally themselves with Shlomo Melech. And there are certain famous kings, and so on, you know, Le uh, King uh, of Lebanon, and so on, you know. Uh, and they were allies of Shlomo. In fact, those wives, we know he had uh, 300 wives and 700 concubines, right? What is this? And the answer is all those wives were really daughters of kings that I wanted to ally themselves with Shlomo HaMelech. That's how prestigious he was. So his kingdom was unbelievably uh, sophisticated. Just actually ab absolutely incredible, you see. Uh, so Shlomo Melech was, if you can look at it, <coughs> the beginning of that type of sophistication. That's who Shlomo Melech really was, and so on, you know. And there's a second person that will have that that uh, personage of this Tveris noise in a human being that is extraordinary. Who's that? That is Mashiach ben Yosef. <coughs> and Mashiach ben David. And Mashiach ben Yosef, we see, because it says, Pare called Mashiach ben Yosef at Sadiq, who was a forerunner, of course, of Mashiach ben Yosef. 
He called them the Paneach Raza. What does that mean? The decoder of secrets. Because he was able to interpret the dream of Parai, which is awesome. Now I guarantee you, everybody in Egypt, all the officers, you know, and, uh, of Parai, they were all interpreting the dream. Everybody had their interpretation of <coughs> Pharaoh's dream. So why did Parai believe Yosef? Because Parai not only dreamt the dream, which is the actual code and so on, but he also dreamt its interpretation. Except he didn't remember what he uh, with the inter interpretation. So what Yosef did is when he interpreted the dream, he also told him what it means, and then Parai remembered that that's what he dreamt, the interpretation. That's how he knew Yosef was right. So he called him the decoder of secrets, you see? So that's the Chokhmah that Yosef had. And Para was so blown over by the Chokhmah of Yosef when he told him, well, how do you solve this problem? And so on. And then what about the Oiz, the might? Well, when Yosef was in pr prison, one of the statements that the Torah says is, also, and everything he did, Hitzliach Hashem biyodoi. God made him successful, you see? Which is incredible. The Bansham gave him success in every endeavor that, that he would attempt in prison. That's oiz, that's might, the ability to do and to succeed in what you do. So those are the two people that really <coughs> have the tfers and oiz. You see, they were two people that you began to see what that means in a human being. So that's the first noise. Now, from this we see something very interesting. We know that there is a reciprocal relationship between the Jew, between Yaakov and Esau. And that's a very important idea. Why? Because Esau draws his ability from Yaakov when Yaakov sins. And I mentioned the Pasuk last week, right? And one nation, right, will be greater than another nation, which means they will never be equal. How and why? Because it is when the Jew sins, you see, that he gives over his gifts, <coughs> his, his, his enormous potential and so on. But what are his gifts? To Ferris and Noise. So it comes out that Esau gets Tveris and Oiz. That's where he gets it from. From Yaakov Avino. You see? And when Yaakov doesn't sin, when he does the mitzvahs and so on, then he takes it back from Esau. You see? And as a result of that, the Tveris and Oiz, the beauty and the might, go back to Yaakov and the Jewish people. Right? And they leave Esau. You see? Uh, that's one of the reasons why we see that the nations of the world that represent Esau, specifically Rome. Rome is really the beginning of the might and the beauty of Esau. The Gemara calls Rome Edom. Esau, the Torah says, is Edom. And Edom is who? Right? Edom becomes uh, Rome. And Rome is Esau. And I mentioned that who's Rome today? Christianity, which is really Western civilization. And this, the, the, uh, the tremendous sophistication of, of, uh, of uh, Esau is because the Jews sinned, they went into Golas, and therefore the Tversinois went to Esau. But that's only as long as, right, the Jews give it up to Esau. As long as a Satan takes from the holiness of the Jew, then he can give that holiness to Esau, which becomes Pharisees. But when the Jew, Jews himself, right, do righteousness, then they take it back. In fact, that's the real concept of the Golis. The Golis means to be in exile, right, which means we lose the Pharisees. You see? In fact, we say that in a Pasuk. In Tachnon, in Shachras, <coughs> how long we're talking to God? How long will your O's, your might, right? Which I'm saying is the capacity to do anything. How long will that be in captivity? 
which means in the hand of the Satan, to give it over to Esav. V'sif altcho, and your beauty biyatso, and your beauty in the hands of the enemy. Right? How long? So that's what we're referring to. We are referring to what? The first and the Oiz. Therefore, the sophistication of the West and the Hatzlocha of the West, the tremendous success of the West, right? That deals a terrible blow when they get it to the Jews. Because if they get it, that means we lose it. That's why we lost the Beis Amitash. Because now they're getting the Tferis noise, Rome and so on, right? Christianity and Western civilization. Meanwhile, the Jews lose the Beis Amitash. They lose prophecy, <coughs> right? They lose the beauty and the Chochmah of, of Tferis noise. you see. So that's very, very <coughs> important. <coughs> I mean, if you want to understand one of the great tragedies of Tishbov is that not only is the Beis Amitash destroyed, that's what we can see. But really, one of the great tragedies of Tishbov is that they have the Tferis Anais. You see? I'll give you one example. You know, <clears throat> I, you know I, I, I live in New Jersey, right? And there's a college here not far. It's called Monmouth College. It's in uh, Monmouth County, whatever. It's a nothing college. I hate to say that. It's a nobody college. You ever hear Monmouth College? You go to that college and it's got a beautiful campus, beautiful buildings. This is a college? Like, yeah, that's the Tferis and Oiz of Judaism. <clears throat> right. And so on. The difference between a yeshiva building, at least it used to be that way, you know, and a college is night and day, you see. And there are many, any nobody college has a magnificent, they have, you know, the buildings and the sophistication of their campus and so on. You know, <clears throat> now it's beginning to change. Where yeshivas begin to resemble more, you know, the Tfersanois, because the Tfersanois, guess what? Is returning to the Jews, you see. Well, I'll give you another example. Not now, because now it's a joke. But, you know, it used to be you go to Manhattan Island. Manhattan was incredible. What a sophisticated civilization Manhattan used to be. You walk down Fifth Avenue, wow, it's gorgeous. The stores, the, the enormous amount of, you know, goods for sale, and just the, uh, the vitality, the vigor, the fashion. I mean, New York is, you know, uh, where, where is that? Well, New York was the centerpiece of Aesop, in terms of the Tverse and Noise. And all the incredible, the financial district and so on, you know, all, all of this stuff was located, the entertainment district in New York City, and, and really in many ways throughout America, you see. <clears throat> but it's changing, which is very, very interesting. Why? Because we see, we see that the Jews are coming back. We see that the Messianic process is unfolding. And when that happens, then the Tfers of Oiz, right, uh, of, the, of, the, of the Western civilization, right, now begins to collapse or shrivel. And that's what's happening to America and so on. Because we are getting back the Tfers and Oiz, slowly, but it is happening. <laughs> so I just wanted to make everybody aware of the idea of Tfers and Oiz that it's really a divine gift that we have as a reciprocal relationship with Esau. You see. Okay. <coughs> so hopefully that it gives a much greater, clearer explanation of what is happening. Second idea, which I want to talk about, which is very important, and will undoubtedly be very, very surprising, and so on. The major event happening today is not on this planet. The Sutton is dying. What does that mean? Well, the Sutton accumulates the Kedusha, the holiness of the Jews. That's what he's been doing. When the Jews sin, then they give over the Kedusha, the holiness that they would bring down, right, <coughs> from the spheres. But the Sutton is able to yoinik. Yoinik means to nourish off that 
holiness, and so on. Uh, and that's been going on from all time, time immemorial. But the problem is that when the Jews go into Golis or they suffer, then what happens, uh, and certainly when they do the mitzvahs, then they bring down Kedusha. But what's even more interesting is they can take back the Kedusha that they've given the Sutton. So it comes out that most of the what's called sparks of holiness that the Jews have lost to the Sutton is now being reclaimed by the Jews. Now without those sparks of holiness, the Sutton is going to die because that's the only way you could survive. So it comes out that the major spiritual event that is happening today is that the Sutton is dying. <coughs> and since he is dying, 98% maybe by now it's 99%, right, of these sparks are now back in the hands of the Jewish people. And therefore, <clears throat> the Sutton realizes that he must get the Jews to sin or else he's dead. And the only way he can get these sparks of holiness is if a Jew sins, you see. Not only that, but anybody who will assist the Jews, right, is public enemy number one, as they say. Okay, <clears throat> who therefore is public enemy number one? Which one of the nations of the world will assist the Jews, you see? And we begin to see that there's an incredible amount of anti-Semitism. So who is public enemy number one to the Sutton that will help the Jews? And when you think about that, <coughs> the most powerful man in the world really is the President of the United States. Everybody knows that. Trump, as President of the United States, is the greatest enemy of the Sutton. Right. Even though he's not Jewish. But like I've said many, many times, he's a messianic figure. He's not the Mashiach, of course, not Jewish. But he is a major figure in assisting the Jews to do what? To rid the world of evil. Even though he has a lot of character flaws, but there's no question that the greatest American president in history for the benefit of the Jews is Donald Trump. Uh, as such, Donald Trump is the greatest <coughs> enemy of the Sutton. Because if he's going to assist the Jews, right, and he does that by stopping the persecution of the Jews, right, and allowing the Jews to flourish, you see, to get back Jerusalem, to get back the state, to stop the Arabs, <coughs> uh, to stop the, uh, the uh, United Nations from destroying the Jews and so on, he wants to bring the Abraham Accords, which is very dangerous because when there is peace in the world, especially when there's peace in Israel, then Israel will flourish, you see. And part of the exile is when Jews are persecuted. Therefore, Trump, as far as I'm concerned, is the Sutton's enemy number one. So the question then is something very important. If that's the case, we now understand that all the incredible, what's called Trump mania, that you're looking at, really is generated by the Sutton. He, in some way, convinces people that Trump is unworthy to be the president. Now, the foolishness of people is the fact that they look at Trump's character more important than Trump's policies. And the truth is, Trump, when he was president, was a fabulous president. Everybody was making money. Everybody was doing great. You didn't have any of I mean, you take a look at what's happening, the southern border is, 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 is chaos. It's destroying America. <coughs> and then you talk about, right? You talk about the energy crisis. You talk about the crime in the cities. You talk about the inflation. You talk about that America is a laughing stock of foreign affairs and so on, you know? All of this was nothing when Trump was here. It was incredible. So, okay, you don't like Trump, whatever, the way he tweets and so on, but his policies are wonderful. So how could you decide that you don't want him and you want an absolute moron like Biden to be president instead of Trump? Well, those are satanic temptations and illusions that the Sutton is giving the Goyim. 
So what you really look, Trump mania is satanic, literally, not figuratively. It's really satanic. Because like I said, Trump is enemy number one. Because we are literally at the doorstep or at the threshold of <coughs> what? We are at the threshold of the Messianic era. Uh, so what happened was something which is amazing. What was that? So therefore, what can the Sutton hope to do? I once said this a long time ago, but it's worth looking at again, because now it's really very, very significant. If you have a general fighting another country, there's only three strategies that he can do, you see. And he's down to one week's worth of firepower, which is very bad. <coughs> so there's only what? There's only three strategies he can do to win the war, or else he's finished. One is he will, instead of seven days worth of firepower, he will do all of it in one day. Seven, six days into one day, and he's hoping by calling the bluff, he's going to bluff the other, the other nation, that he has all this firepower, and they're going to sue for peace, because they say, wait a minute, if this guy has so much firepower left, forget about it, you see. So that's called the great bluff, okay? Now, what happens if that doesn't work, right? He, he, he puts all his firepower in a concentrated effort, but it fails. Then the second thing that he has to do is to do what? Somehow is to go into the enemy country and break their resolve to do war. To break their resolve. So they will sue for peace. What happens if he tries that and it doesn't work? So he has only one more strategy, and that is to get an ally that they will give him more weapons and firepower. Well, that's exactly what the Sultan has done. And because he's dying, his first strategy is called the Great Bluff. So what he did was he was able to get World War II. Now, World War II seems to be, right, uh, Hitler, Yamak Shemai, against the Jews, you see? Or rather, it seems to be Hitler trying to conquer Europe. That's not really what it was about. In the end, Hitler wanted to kill every living Jew. In fact, that was the essence of the war. Hitler, who in a certain way is uh, a Molik, whatever, without getting into that, to destroy the Jewish people. Because he held the Jews to be the reason why ma mankind are wimps. <coughs> he held that the Jews have made mankind into wimps, guilt, because of the Jewish religion. He hated the Jews. <coughs> In fact, uh, there's a book that was called the, uh, the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, or whatever, uh, written by William Shirer, that says a remarkable thing, that at the end of the war, uh, the generals came over to Hitler, and they said, you know, we're losing the war. So Hitler said, what's the problem? He said, because you're taking all the railroad cards, and you're shipping the Jews to the concentration camps, we need those railroad cards to bring the troops to the front. You are causing us to lose the war. You see? So please, you need to divert all the railroad cards for the war effort, right? Not to kill the Jews. What did Hitler say? He told him to get lost. He's not interested. Shia writes this. In other words, Hitler was more concerned about the destruction of the Jews than he was about the victory of Germany, which is incredible. People don't realize that. He was a traitor to Germany itself. Why? Because Hitler was obsessed with the destruction of the Jew, and that really is what the essence of the World War II was, to kill all the Jews, <coughs> and so on, you see? So what the, what the Sutton was able to do is to get all the nations of the world to side with Hitler. How? doesn't mean that they, is not to let the Jews in, so they actually conspired with the nations, or they aided and abetted the evil of the nations of the world. You know, England is the one who kept the Jews because of the white paper in 1938, whatever, out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, which is terrible. Franklin Roosevelt didn't allow the Jews in. Terrible president, terrible, you know, uh, in terms of what he did to the Jewish people, you see. And he was able to do this, and how many Jews died because they couldn't get to America, you see. <clears throat> 
So that was called the Great Bluff. He was, the Sutton was hoping that he would get the nations, all of them, against the Jews, each in his own nefarious plans. This is what the Sutton was hoping. Now, how would that affect the Jews? Because the Jews would say, wait a minute, what's God doing to us? He has abandoned us, so therefore we will abandon him. And they'll go back to sin, which means he will be able to urinate, nourish even more from the holiness of the Jew. That's really the strategy of the Sutton. So he would be able to get firepower, right, which is the Kedush of the Jews, based on that. Uh, you see, so that is called the Great Bluff. That's really in many ways what the essence of World War II was. But it didn't work, because Jews began to come back after the war. So therefore what Sutton then did is he got the heir of Ralph, which are Jews that want to give up Torah, they want to give the spirit, they want to give up the spirituality of the Jewish people, and they want to become Israelis. We don't need religion, we have Israel. That is the heir of Ralph, basically, right? But that's not only the heir of Ralph, right? It's basically uh, the Zionist, uh, you see, to get all the Jews to dump Torah. But the whole essence of Judaism is the Torah. So he was able to get enormous amount of Jews, right, to sin, you see. So in that sense, he was able to break the resolve of Jews to remain religious. So we're talking here about who, right? We're talking here about the conservative movement, the reform movement, reconstructionists, right? We're talking about the Zionists, right? We're talking about the uh, Haskalah, the Maskilim. We're talking about all these movements that were against basically the Torah. So that's a second strategy. But again, it didn't really work, and so on. So therefore, there's only one strategy left to go out again an ally. But the problem is there is no ally. The only one who could take from the Kedusha of the Jew, the firepower of the Jew, which is his Kedusha, when he does mitzvahs, the only one who can do that is a Satan. You see? So if he's running out of this stuff, where well, he has to give it back to the Jews, right? So the question is, he's finished. The answer is no. <clears throat> Without getting too deeply into it, there's only one nation other than the Jewish people that can take the holiness from the divine presence. Who is that? The Arabs. Or I should say more accurately, the Muslims. Why? Because Yishmael, who's the son of Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu, which I spoke about, and Yishmael, okay, uh, what he wanted is he asked God, Lu Yishmael because God said to him, you will have a son, Yitzchak. So Avram Avinu, for whatever reason, said, Alvai, my son Yishmael, right, should live before you. What that means, to be able to take your Kedusha directly from you, and not have to get it through the Sultan. It doesn't depend on the sins of the Jews. The Muslims can take the Kedusha of the Shekhinah because of mitzvahs that they do, Mila and so on, they believe in one God, directly from the Shekhinah. They don't need to have the Jews sin, which is very, very interesting. And God said to Avram Avinu, I have accepted your prayer. So therefore, what happens? So the Sutton goes over to the Malach of Yishmael and says, listen, I need your Kedusha. I need the Kedusha that you're able to take down independently of the Jews. You see, so the Malach says, okay, this is obviously what happened. Malach said, okay, but here's the deal, right? It's always a quid pro quo, right? So uh, what the Malach of Yishmael says, listen, until now, who is the West. Well, the West is basically Christianity. It's Western civilization. And they are the most powerful people on earth, right? You want my Kedusha? Then I want the Muslims, right? I want the Arabs, the Muslims, to be the greatest nation on earth. Not only that, but when I say greatest nation, not only in terms of themselves, right? But I want them to be also, besides the greatest nation, right? I want them to be able to take 
from the Kedusha of the Jewish people, you see, and as a result of that, I want them to take one of their own and be head of the United States. Lo and behold, out of nowhere, this guy Barack Obama comes out, and he's, he's obviously a Muslim. I mean, that's why he had such deference to the king of Saudi Arabia and so on. And he's always been a Muslim and so on. All of a sudden, a guy, first he has, a first he has senator. I mean, it's incredible. But what credentials did he have to his name? And he becomes president of the United States. I mean, this is Yishmael and Esau together now taking over the world, which when you think about it, is absolutely amazing, you see. <clears throat> and therefore, this is what happens, you see. So we now see that there's a new setup. It's no longer the West, Esau, taking from the Kedusha of the Jewish people. It is the West, Esau, and Yishmael taking from the Kedusha of Klai Israel. Because Esau now has access to the Kedusha of Yishmael. That means that what is now being ushered in is the Messianic era, or the beginning, you see. So Yishmael is now the head of Esau, which is incredible, right? And they, together with the era of Rav, the Zionists and so on, are going to try now to do what? To destroy the Torah and the Jewish people, <coughs> you see. But like I said, that ushers in a new era, you see. Not only that, what does Obama do, which is interesting, but you have to understand something. <clears throat> the gematria, the numerical value of Moshiach is 358, which by the way is the same gematria as Nochosh, the snake. Why? Because the opposite of Moshiach is the Nochosh, is the snake, the primordial snake of Adam Harishim, you see. Uh, therefore, the opposite of Mashiach is the Nachash, <coughs> or whoever represents the Sultan, you see. What is fascinating is the gematria of Barack Obama is 358, you see. That tells us that Obama is not a regular person. He is meant to be, okay, in opposition to the messianic process. As something we begin to realize that this guy Obama was incredibly arrogant, evil, and he hates the Jewish people, which is obvious. He even treated Netanyahu as, as a shmata, as a piece of rag. We, we remember the history, you know, and not only that, when he left the presidency, right, he joined with the Security Council right, in the UN to condemn Israel for whatever it was. It was the first time in history that America actually was on the side of the evil part of the UN. And this was Obama. Stabbed him in the back, which is incredible. <clears throat> but Obama really hates the Jews. He certainly hates Netanyahu. But he's an incredibly arrogant person. And not only is it so, in many ways when you think about that, wait a minute, if we are looking at the end of time, where we now have Yishmol and Esau together, right, and that's how the Sultan is surviving, right, then we are going to expect many things which are messianically driven to happen. Like I pointed out, right, that the, there will be a tremendous satanic arousal, right, against Trump, who's trying to help the Jews and assist them in having Eretz Israel. The second thing, right, he's going to try to do things that will be against the interests of the Jewish people. Now, the problem we know is that a president of the United States is only four years. But one of the things that happened, which was astounding, is Biden, right, who's basically an empty suit, he takes his orders from Obama. Obama is the one really behind the terrible amount of things going on in America. Therefore, what I would say is something very interesting. You see, 
that Obama is really the Nochash. He is in the service of the evil, <coughs> which is in opposition to the Mashiach. And that's why his gematria is 358, which is fascinating. <coughs> Not only that, he's the one that's supporting Iran. We know that. He's the one, you know, through himself, he gave billions of dollars to Iran, which is the major enemy of Israel. How could you do that? You know what these guys are. These guys are not interested in peace. They say they want to wipe out Israel. They actually want to wipe out a great deal of the West. They want to take over and begin a caliphate. Yet Obama is aiding and abetting Iran and their proxies because the proxies get their money from Iran. Well, how could he do that? Because this guy is a tremendously evil person. But what's interesting, right, is that not only is he for the UN and he hates Israel and so on, he's also sponsoring, aiding and abetting Iran, which is the last war. Therefore, it's very reasonable to assume that Obama is going. Amazing, isn't it? That we finally have hit on the man who is the arch enemy of good, Obama. And we take a look at what he's done. He's destroying America. Why? Because Yishmael wants to be ahead of America. You see, and not only is he destroying America, he's doing a great job. He's the one advising Biden and the administration, <coughs> right? He has an inordinate influence to destroy America. And not only that, at the same time as he's destroying America, he's giving Iran billions of dollars to destroy Israel and to take over the Middle East. I mean, this guy's doing everything possible, right, to ally himself, right, with Ishmael, to destroy the West and to aid and abet Ishmael. That's exactly what he's been doing. And even though his term ended in four years, no, he now has somebody carrying on his legacy, right, as Goig, right, and that is Biden. It's amazing when you look at it, you know, but it certainly would seem that he is uh, is uh, in, in charge. And remember one thing, Goig is a person that leads the 70 nations of the world against the Jewish people. Who is the 70 nations of the world? And the answer is the UN. And we know that, that Obama aids and abets, right? And uh, Iran and so on. And there's so much destruction of the West and so on, you see. So therefore, I would say very simple that Obama certainly qualifies to be Goyg, you see. <clears throat> and it's not only that, you know, he was the former president and the head of the United States, which in many ways has become Islamic. I mean, just take a look at the anti-Semitic demonstrations, all in favor of Hamas. And Hamas is a bunch of terrorists, Right? We're talking here about America. We're talking here about the colleges, the elite institutions <coughs> who aid and abet, who support morally, right, in every which way, Hamas. What is this? You see, we are looking at the destruction of the morals of Esau, right? And we are looking at the, the, uh, the beginning of the American desire to overthrow Israel, and so on. In many ways, America has become, is allying itself with Iran and Hamas <coughs> and the whole Islamic culture. Who's behind this? Well, this isn't Biden's idea. What does Biden know anyway? And so on, you know. This is Obama's idea <coughs> And Biden is taking his cue from Obama. So I believe that Obama is really going, you see. And uh, the uh, going is, is the UN, which he clearly has enormous amount of influence and so on, you know. Uh, and, and America, in a certain sense, is falling into the trap, you see. But in any case... <coughs> And this is messianic, which is interesting, 
because he has given the wherewithal to Iran to invade Israel. If he hadn't given Iran that kind of money, they were collapsing under Trump. They were dying. All he had to continue was another, what, six months, a year? They would have collapsed. And that's the end of Iran. Instead, along comes Biden, right? And he gives them <coughs> billions of dollars, removes all the sanctions. So now they're a wealthy country. They used to have only, I think, $4 billion in their reserves. And with Biden's help, they now have $70 billion. They are a very wealthy country, and they now have all the money to support their proxies. Well, is it Biden? No. Biden doesn't have the smarts for this. It's Obama that is telling Biden what to do. You see, because the head of all the progressives, basically, and one of the major heads of the Democratic Party is Obama. There you are, and so on. So this is another incredible uh, dimension of what is happening today, that in a certain sense, Obama is actually initiating the messianic, the beginning of a messianic era by bringing out the last battle of the Mashiach, of Iran. And as the, as the Chazal tells us, where God says, the time of your arrival has arrived. It's very interesting. Now, what's also very interesting is the fiasco of the IDF. How they missed this is beyond understanding. I mean, if you read the report of the New York Times or in general, people realize there's something wrong here. How it, because there are two failures. One was an intelligence failure, right? Okay. But th that itself is incredible. You tell me the Mossad, the Shin Bet, the IDF all missed? No. They knew about this a year before that this was going to happen, you see, you know. So when people, you know, so the first thing is they knew about this. They didn't miss this. This wasn't an intelligence failure. They knew about this. And the amazing thing is even when it was happening, there was not only, uh, there were, not only was there not an information breach, but there was a security breach. How in the world did these have 3,000 terrorists, is what they say, that broke through a wall at 70 different places? Defense. How? You know, it's impossible. Uh, what happened? And people were calling up the IDF and saying, we're being killed. They're coming, they're killing in all the kibbutzim and so on. Uh, you know, we're being invaded. And the IDF just ignored it. In fact, they even told people, if you continue to do this, you know, we're go going to punish you, court-martial you, or whatever, you know. Uh, what do you mean, how could you ignore and deny what your own people are telling you? And not only that, why did it take six hours to get from the center of Israel, right? How could they be so ill-prepared? None of this makes sense, you see. So that's going to lead to an incredible scandal, you see. That's what's going to happen. And I believe something else. Um, Israel has no choice. The astounding thing, which I pointed out in the first year and so on, is that they absolutely, absolutely ignore the threat that Iran poses. How could you allow Hamas to dig 300 miles of tunnels? Are they insane? <coughs> for the sole purpose of hiding and try to destroy Israel. That's the first thing. Second thing, uh, how can you allow Hezbollah to collect 150,000 sophisticated missiles? Right? What are you, are you insane? Or pointed at Israel. And the third thing, how do you allow Iran to develop <coughs> an atomic weapon? It's incredible. And Israel has done nothing under Netanyahu Nothing. So the whole question is, what is this? The policy of Israel has basically been containment. You see, what containment? These are mortal enemies. These are enemies that want your extinction. That's what they want. There's no luxury here of containment. What is wrong with these people? Yet that's what happened. 
So I, I'm, I really believe that this is going to lead to an unbelievable scandal, huge scandal, and it's going to overthrow the government. And then I believe something which is very interesting. <clears throat> Mashiach bin Yosef, who I talked about and so on, right? You know, he's going to come. And what he does when he does come is he ends the Golas. That's number one. He ends the exile. That's number one. The second thing he does is the base Hamikdash is built in his time, not Mashiach bin David. That the Gemara to Yushalmi and Masechet that proves that Beis Hamikdash will exist before Mashiach bin David, which is Mashiach bin Yosef. Uh, so that's the second thing. The third thing that Mashiach bin Yosef will do <coughs> is restore the spirituality of the Jewish people, the Torah itself. You see, and then ultimately, then Mashiach bin David comes and he restores the Shekhinah itself. So you have these two individuals that will come and change Israel. But will that happen? Who now is the enemy of the Jewish people in terms of their own Torah? And the answer is the era of Rav, which I've talked about numerous amount of times, and so on. <clears throat> the era of Rav. So Mashiach ben Yosef <coughs> will war with the era of Rav. Uh, but what is interesting is that it's not going to go from the era of Rav to Mashiach ben Yosef. There basically has to be an intermediary. There is somebody that's going to take over the government and begin the process of dismantling the era of Rav and restoring the Jewish people, especially in Eretz Israel, to their spiritual roots. Some individual, an intermediary, you see, who is not heir of Rav at all, who will be religious, right, and be a very educated, principled man, who will recognize the spiritual greatness of the Jewish people. Uh, because in order to get rid of evil, you need to get rid of evil, number one, and there has to be a slow rehabilitation See, that's the problem. <coughs> it's not enough to get rid of the heir of Rav. What about all the Jews that are not religious, that are really gone? You see, they need to be rehabilitated before the Mashiach come, <laughs> come, you see. So I believe there will be a rehabilitation process by some type of intermediary. And then you're going to have the entry of Mashiach ben Yosef, who will be around before, but he will not exercise his power, which I said was Tveris and noise. You see? So it's really a two-step process. Somebody has to bring about, you see, the return of the Jewish people to spirituality, to the Jewish religion, and undo the terrible damage that the era of Rav has done to Jewish people. I mean, most people are not aware. There's one point, I'll give you an example, there's 1.5 million kids in the Israeli public school system. 1.5 million children. And basically, they know nothing about Judaism because the schools deprive Jews of their own religious studies. I mean, it's And whatever is taught is a smattering. Could you imagine the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu gave to the Jewish people, how many times does it say, and Moshe Rabbeinu warns the Jews, and you will observe the Torah? I mean, if Moshe Rabbeinu woke up today, he'd probably say, I, I'd rather go back to the grave. He wouldn't believe it. He has said so many times, and you will observe the commandments, right? And he watches 1.5 million kids that learn almost nothing about Judaism. What, we have no idea what the magnitude of the sin is that the heir of Rav is doing. And who's responsible for this? The heir of Rav. Where is Netanyahu? Where is the Israeli educational department? You see? How could this be? You're talking about the future of the Jewish people, the youth. They don't know anything. You see? And we're talking about 1.5 million kids. That is the future of the Jewish people. So we have no idea of the gravity the seriousness of the sin 
of the ear of Rav. For that alone, you see. So somebody has to turn around all this, the educational system, the secular Jews in Israel, <laughs> and there's so many of them, before Mashiach bin Yosef, you see. I have a theory who this is. It's only a theory, you know. Uh, I guess, you know, I, I don't know this from any other place. But it obviously has to be an intermediary who is thoughtful, religious, right? And who is well known. And I'll tell you who I think it is. I may be wrong, but I think he'd be a great candidate. I think it's Jonathan Pollard, right? It doesn't sound like likely, you know. Uh, and I think that he would be a great candidate to be an intermediary, to bring about a change, you see. Now you may say, wait a minute, how can you turn Israel around? <coughs> you can't compel Jews, and that is true. You can't compel people to be religious. They don't want to be religious. It's over with and finished, you see. But the truth is you don't have to compel them. This is a tremendous mistake. What does that mean? Because <coughs> one of the problems of Israel, there are many Kirov organizations in Israel that do great work and so on. You know, you have, uh, you know, they have the Osameach and Torah, Rachim. There are many great organizations. Their problem is they don't have any money. But what happens if you give them money, just like give the colleges? Then they could use their programs, and they're very convincing, to help Jews, you see, return to Judaism without compulsion, just by the sheer brunt of the logic and the beauty of Judaism. Right. There are many ways. Once the Jewish people or the leader who will be then there, puts his head to it. There are many incredible plans that he can do that will bring the Jews back to their religion. Uh, so I believe that's the next stage, right? The next stage is an intermediary that will deal with the era of Rav. But the question is, well, you know, how do you get Israel to vote for this guy? And I believe that the scandal of what the IDF did how they ignored, I and mean, if they because they ignored the, the reality of what was going on, that's why you have people dying left and right, the 1,200 people who died, right? They could have saved them. If the army would have responded in a half hour, how many Jews would have been saved? Incredible. This could be the, uh, that thing which <coughs> initiates an enormous scandal, gets rid of the heir of Rav, and puts in this in intermediary, you see? And as a result of that, that will begin the reversal of the process without compulsion and without fear, you see? Just by convincing logically of the beauty and the truth of Judaism. Then you can have Mashiach ben Yosef, which will do what? Which will take them from these people who have reversed the course, and then they can begin to learn and become spiritual, you see? So you have to have that intermediary concept and so on, you see? <clears throat> um, it has to proceed in a gentle way. You can't rush into this, you see? And I believe that it's going to occur in many ways very shortly, you see? And um, I am hoping that, certainly that we will be able to see it, you see? And we're watching many things that, that accompanies the Messianic process. Like I said, the Birur, you see, <clears throat> what has happened is very interesting. Because of the anti-Semitism of America, the colleges are now in disrepute. People look at Harvard, you call this Harvard University. The colleges have destroyed their reputation because they realize the immoral, the immorality or I should say the amorality of colleges. Are you crazy? You're going to tell me uh, that you can have free speech of genocide of Jews and it depends on the context as long as they're not killing Jews? Are you out of your mind? This is what you're teaching the youth? You see? And besides, Trump is going to create a free university, which he said he will, you know, and take away all the, the uh, uh, elitism of Harvard and University of Pennsylvania and Columbia, all the Ivy Leagues, and many of the hundreds of colleges that are destroying the youth. That's really what's happening. 
you know, the colleges are destroying the youth because of they're all progressive, they're left, they're radical, and they're destroying the youth. And these youth are the future of America. Whatever happened to America? Is there anybody in America who knows what's going on? Who make who who, who has seichel and so on and so forth? Any case. So we are now in the midst of all of this, which in many ways is incredible, you see? And this is happening in our time, you know? And I believe, like I say, the last war is the war of Iran with the Jewish people, and there will be a war, because Israel has to remove Hezbollah, and they have to remove Iran, and that's gonna happen. And it can happen any day, you see? Because as long as they exist, you will always have the evil that is an incredible detriment to the freedom of not only Israel, but to the freedom of spirituality and the uh, tremendous interest <coughs> of evil. So, like I once said, the Zoya, that Tchiyas HaMesim takes 210 years before the end. And since the end is 2040, that's the English year, or the year 6000, that means according to the Zoya, Tchis Amesim, resurrection of the dead, which happens right after Mashiach ben David, is going to happen by the year 2030, which is what? Less than six years from now, which is incredible. And that's one of the reasons why you see such an incredible acceleration of the process itself. So let's hope. And by the way, tonight is Rosh Shvat. And the Zoya says, that the redemption begins on Rosh Chodesh It actually says that because Teves is the month of Esav. That's why he's successful. That's why you have Christmas and so on, which is Esav, satanic. And the mazel of Teves is Capricorn, the goat. And the goat is the sign of Esav. It's called the Seir, you see. And it begins with Shvat, right? And Shvat uh, begins the entry of Mashiach ben Yosef, in that sense, the Geula, which goes into Ador, which is Mashiach ben uh, Ador, is the Purim, which is Haman and Mashiach ben Yosef, then of course, and Nisan. And just before I end, I want to point out that something incredible is going to happen on April 8th, and that is a total eclipse of the sun that crosses America. And it's gonna, I think it's going to go over New Jersey, or Pennsylvania. Anyway, it's going to go through New York, whatever. And that's on April 8th, which, by the way, is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Now, isn't that interesting? And a total solar eclipse is a tremendous sign of redemption, right? Against Esau, right? And it's for, tremendous for the Jewish people. And that's going to happen on Rosh Chodesh Nisan itself, which is the month of redemption, you see. So things are looking up, okay, and hopefully all this will come about. Thank you.